Cheers. Cheers. I'm Kana. I'm Ambi. And this is DiplomacyGames.com. Episode 78. 78? 78. Because wow. we haven't been giving updates lately and I thought I'd better double check. Okay. Episode 78. 78. We're drinking at the Fox Hotel in, well, it's at, this is Fish Lane, isn't it? Just oh, yeah. So it's in South Brisbane. So um, this is another, another old pub, but... Um, I mean, old Brisbane, but old trendy. I was just saying before we started recording that you could probably plunk this outdoor setting from where I'm looking, and it would look like you're in uh, Melbourne somewhere. It's got all these like plane trees, are they? Yeah, except people yeah. aren't wearing face masks. Yeah, like you have to wear down in Melbourne. And we're sitting outside, and it's uh, lovely. And the pubs weather. open. And the pubs are open. Four <laughs> <laughs> bastards. Four buggers. Four bastards. Um, I'm on two suns. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a um, pale ale. And Not how bad. Is it? Not bad. How's yours? What are you? What are you drinking? I'm on a Marty's Block Shiraz Cabernet, and it's not bad at all. It's it's again, it's a for the for the size of the glass and the price. I think it's reasonable. Okay, great. Fair value. You know, a good opening. Yeah, might be a better opening, but I ordered a schooner instead of a pint. There's point too much. Don't like it that much. Uh, there'd be room for negotiation to a different strategy. Right. Yeah, I think I've gone all in on an opening and realised it's probably not the best um, opening I could have made. Ah, so, right. You know, if I had room for to backpedal yep. and had a smaller size drink, I would have been a little bit more happy with my opening. <laughs> Oh well, you can kind of renegotiate later with the uh, the bartender and get another <laughs> a better outcome, hopefully. Well, I'm not going to have to. Yeah, I've even got pigeons. Yeah, oh, very Melbourne. Yes, and this one's also missing a leg. I'm not just holding it up. Oh, no, it's holding it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, this pub talking about Melbourne, I caught up here with Peter McNamara. Like, very, very early on when we just started the show, it was like we'd only had, like, episode five or six out. Yep. And it was way before he'd moved to Melbourne. He was still up here, and um, it was, the, like, the first time I met him. Yep. And I think he kind of, his view was like, so wait, are, are you the wine guy or the beer guy? <laughs> <laughs> well, we know you're the wine guy. Yeah. Yes, although sometimes I can mix it up a bit. I must admit, I've, I've gone back to wine again lately because... Um, yeah, 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 the, yeah, beer, yeah. Belly. the beer belly <laughs> problem. And I've kind of recently restarted swimming and giving up beer, and it's starting to have a, an effect, which is good. Oh, bravo. I was able to put on the shorts today for the first time in about six weeks. I don't wear shorts. I feel like I have chicken legs. Yeah, well, I've got chicken legs, so it doesn't matter. Oh, I just don't wear shorts. Yeah, well. But it is it is like shorts and t-shirt weather here in, in Brisbane. It's definitely coming into it. Got my thongs on. Flip-flops. My flip-flops, yes. Pluggers. As opposed to a G-string. That yep. would be most uncomfortable. <laughs> but anyway, uh, diplomacy show and all that type of stuff. There's been a lot going on, hasn't there? It has been quite a bit. So we've recently, well, I'll let you... Talk about who we interview. Um, I found it quite interesting. 
Should we jump into that straight away? I think so. I think so. That's a great idea. Yep. So um, we caught up with Dave Maletsky, who's organising Carnage, or e-Carnage as it is now, obviously because of the whole COVID thing. Um, and yeah, it was a great little chat. I learnt a lot. I guess the other thing to, to take away here is this particular interview also gives a bit of a, a roadmap, so to speak, for what's happening with WDC into the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely something to listen out for, and um, we'll be putting in. Well, I'll be putting the show notes um, the Discord um, server. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you're listening to this and you want to kind of register for eCarnage, it'll be in the inside your phone as part of the if you downloaded it, or it'll be in the web page if you're listening to it from there. So without any further ado, here's Dave. Here's Dave. Dave Maleski, welcome to the show. Thanks. So, Happy to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here, seeing we've had copious amounts of technical problems. Um, but we're now getting things working now, so that's the main thing. Um, I really wanted to talk a little bit today, and I suppose Kana as well, around the upcoming um, e-carnage that's being scheduled in November. Uh, obviously, normally this is a... a, a face-to-face tournament, but like everything at the moment, COVID has kind of uh, thrown a big monkey wrench into proceedings. Um, seeing we're getting pretty close, it's only a month or so away, um, I thought it'd be a great idea to have you on the show and to, to talk a little bit around uh, eCarnage and um, and your role as the, the tournament director. So really, this one's a little bit in your hands to kind of give us a bit of a rundown for ourselves and, and um, our podcast listeners. Well, I appreciate you having me on the show again. And um, yeah, Carnage was going to be the physical uh, world championships this year. But like you said, because of the pandemic, uh, we've had to push that back there. Um, so it's going to be a uh, virtual event, uh, like many of the face to face events have turned into this year. Um, and the, it's a convenient timing because, uh, that I'm on the podcast because the, um, format has finally, uh, taken shape. It's going to be held, uh, November 5th through 8th. Um, opening ceremonies are going to be the evening. Well, depending on your time zone, uh, on the 5th. Um, and then the structure for the first time ever, uh, due to the unique nature of not just, uh, the, virtual events, but also wanting to uh, accommodate um, different time zones and different hobbies. Um, collaborating with uh, Leigh Sarlinen and Andrew Goff, and they're going to run two rounds for me out of Australia, um, and I'm going to run two rounds out of North America at times that should be convenient for somebody somewhere in the world. And we're going to score the two in North America using Carnage Scoring, which is a a simple um, lead-based system with a center-based tiebreaker that uh, profoundly rewards solo victory. And the Australian rounds are going to be scored using the um, scoring system they're going to use in 2022 for the uh, World Championships in Thailand, which... uh, is a center-based system that uh, has additional bonuses for topping and survival. And then I'm going to take 
uh, each player's best three of four scores. Uh, each round is going to be scored individually. Um, they're going to be put into a output a ranking for each round, and then I'm going to take those rankings. Everyone's uh, three best rankings are going to get amalgamated and produce a final ranking, which will uh, out of which the top seven will then proceed onto a top board um, on uh, Sunday the eighth. And the top board will determine nothing but the tournament victor. Uh, all the other awards will have been set before then. And there's also going to be a variety of social events uh, planned during the course of the weekend. Um, I've learned some lessons from the other virtual events uh, that have been wonderful, but, you know, it's a growing process and going to try to uh, motivate people to use the text uh, less and the voice more so it feels more sociable and more like an actual face-to-face event. And finally, um, unlike the other uh, virtual events, because uh, Carnage Diplomacy is, par- is part of a, a broader gaming convention that occurs every year that has a thousand plus people, the Carnage Convention, um, it's not free. Uh, you're going to have to formally register on tabletop events with uh, Carnage in order to get access to the diplomacy event. It's only going to cost 10 bucks, so that shouldn't be too much of a barrier for anyone. Um, the Carnage staff told me that they're uh, using it just because they don't want tabletop events itself to go under because they're getting hammered by the pandemic because there's no face-to-face anything. And so, um, yeah, uh, people are going to register on that, and that will also give them access to all the other gaming events that the Carnage Convention as a whole is hosting over the course of the same weekend. So uh, it should be... A really great time. Obviously, it's not entirely the same as being able to hang out with your buddies and, you know, uh, have a drink. But uh, but I think uh, scoring three out of four rounds and having two different time zones will motivate a lot of international crossover play. People get to experience different scoring systems. Um, and also, uh, you know, if you're a sociopath who really wants to win, you, you're, you can play all four rounds to try to maximize your three best. Although I think it's going to be pretty brutal, uh, sleep wise. Um, and that's it. I think that's, uh, most of what I've got, most of what I can think of off the top of my head for the uh, structure of the event. You have any questions? Oh, of course. So, um, just so I've got this right in my mind, because I'm a bit of a slow thinker, um, with each 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 um, set that's going on within both North America and also in Australia, did you say how many rounds were going to be held for each? Was it two or four? Two two rounds in North America, two rounds was, in okay. Uh, Australia. Okay, so uh, it obviously obviously encourages people to uh, play in their local area twice and to kind of. Uh, get themselves a bit of, I suppose, a, um, exposure in the other versions uh, elsewhere. So I'm kind of thinking uh, it's going to be more later in the evening in America time, which would be early in Australia. So like a, a commencing Australia around a 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock or whatever like that in the morning is probably going to be like a 7 p.m. start um, in the U.S. So that's probably the round that most people will play, I'm guessing, where there's that crossover occurring. 
uh, and vice versa um, when it comes to um, Australians or people in Asia Pacific playing in America. Um, okay, so it's going to be really, really interesting. Uh, how so? From a tournament perspective, you're going to have two sets of things going on at once. Um, there'll be a bit of a crossover at some points of time, but other times it'll be quite unique. Uh, when when players uh, are participating in it, they're obviously using different scoring systems. Actually, I don't know where I'm going with this question, so I might kind of cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I'll ask one thing, which, which, which is very, very clear in my mind. So will this actually be treated as uh, the World Diplomacy Championship for this year, or is it being that as a tournament is being held over? So I was ambivalent on that point, but there were a lot of other people in the hobby that were very adamant they didn't want the world championships to be not a face-to-face -face event for whatever reasons they had, and I couldn't care either way. So what has been done is um, the next two world championships that were supposed to happen this year and next have both been pushed back a year so that uh, Carnage will uh pandemic dependent of course uh hold the world championships next year and then thailand has been pushed back to 2022 um so there uh it's my understanding that there will be no uh wdc uh label attached to anything this year okay um just as a, as a matter of interest how is that decision made like from a governance perspective if i can call it anything um, I would say secret cabal, secret cabal. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much the way most things have gotten done in the hobby over the decades, although happily that's starting to change a little bit because Siobhan Nolan and uh, the NADF are finally starting to uh, put together a structure with rules and regulations. One of the biggest uh, positive changes we've had in North America was the introduction of a hobby code of conduct um, to try to get ourselves out of the uh, Wild West nature of the uh, hobby from the pa from uh, past years and more in tune with the uh, younger crowd of today that doesn't want to put up with, you know, uh, bigoted bullshit, basically. What what sort of um, software will the um, will Carnage be running? It's going to be um, using the same two platforms that the other virtual events have used, Backstabber and Discord. Um, the uh, Backstabber, we're going to run uh, the three-minute grace period or order writing phase, whatever you want to call it, um, basically so that the games can run more smoothly and uh, I found from my experience in the other uh, GMing the other events that if you don't run the, th the grace period, you get NMRs, which would never really happen in a face-to-face -face game, and also kind of break the game. Like so, I just the you know there were some mild grumblings about having the games drag a little longer, but frankly, like uh, the the if I've got to weigh the two, I would rather players don't NMR and, you know, like don't get ambushed by the clock uh, ending. So, um, uh, there, so it's just going to be backstabber functionality for playing the games and then discord for communications. Um, players are going to be required to be in, available, uh, via voice on, uh, discord in order, uh, in order to communicate. I don't uh, believe 
we can uh, police other communications, really, but I want them to at least be available on Discord so that people can find them if they want to talk to them. And uh, you mentioned that um, Carnage itself is also a tabletop convention as well. Um, how, how are they running there? So this is a bit of an aside to the diplomacy bit, but how are they running their um, tabletop I'm not. Uh, obviously, the platform will not be will not be backstabber uh, for what they're doing. Um, I don't know uh, exactly what platform they're using, but I know I do know that it won't be one of the um, uh, services that require you to pay. Like I know there's one I forget what it's called, but there's one on Steam where you gotta uh, pay a front end cost in order to be able to access the library. I think they're going to be using. Um, uh, 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 other services because the, the idea is that you've paid a $10 registration fee and then you get to play what you get to play. So I think it's probably going to be heavy, uh, heavily reliant on um, free services. Like I know, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but I know there's one that's really good for um, strategy games and war games. I've, I've played uh, Triumph and Tragedy on it before. I just... Uh, not remembering the name of it. And then um, I think also they'll be relying a lot for social games on uh, Discord or Zoom. Right, okay. Um, back to diplomacy. Oh, actually, can I just jump in for a second? Related to that, though, uh, Kana, is yeah. do you have an idea, Dave, on, on how many other games will be available aside from diplomacy at um, eCarnage? Um, well, if the physical event is any guide, it's going to, you know, the physical event has every game under the sun, including video games. So, like, it, it could be hundreds. Um, but given the logistical uh, um, difficulties uh, or they're probably having to transition to, I don't know, I would guess between 100 and 200. Like, I'd, I, there's some games that I don't, I don't, I can't imagine would transition well, whereas some others would. Like, for instance, role-playing games like D&D or something is going to be super easy to do. Whereas uh, if you've got something like a miniatures game where you've got to bust out a string to draw, figure out line of sight and whatever, I don't, I don't really know how well that would translate. Can I just actually just touch on on that about D and D? So, has have from your prior experience with Carnage, has there been a bit of a crossover from other games where players will go, "Hey, that's interesting." Obviously, in a normal uh, physical environment, they might be walking around and kind of look at what's going on on the diplomacy board and listen and pay attention to what's going on. Uh, has there been a much of a crossover in the past from players who don't normally play diplomacy coming into the game? So um, there's two things to say there. One is that the bulk of the players will be – we're typically situated in an area right near the bar and restaurant. Um, so there's going to be a ton of traffic uh, passing through the diplomacy area typically, although that won't be true for Worlds because we're going to have a, a ballroom. But um, historically – there's been a lot of interest in uh, players coming over and what's this? Oh, is it like risk? Blah, blah, blah. And they'll get an explanation. But um, I think uh, the second thing to say is that if 
it were in, say, Europe or uh, Australia, maybe there would be a lot more crossover of people actually wanting to play. But in North America, given that uh, the rounds are uh, time unlimited, uh, when the when you get to the point of the explanation where the game might take 12, 14, 16 hours, uh, you lose you lose them, you know, because um, uh, unless unless somebody played it in their childhood and is uh, like we've we have had players. Uh, unaware that diplomacy was available at the event or had forgotten about the game from their youth and then uh, uh, saw it and then signed up for a future round. That happens, but typically there's not any crossover from players that have never seen or heard of the game before because the um, explanation is intimidating. You you did mention, though, that... um Diplomacy as a game suits itself to maybe a D&D player versus a miniatures player. Um, in what ways do you, you do feel that? Well, um, historically, uh, d- diplomacy, um, I, I, like, I wasn't there, but I've been told this story many times by old timers. I mean, older timers than me. Um, that uh, apparently uh, diplomacy had been run at a couple of events and then uh, one event – um, I don't. It might have been uh, uh, Origins, or I don't, I don't know. Some some gaming conve- uh, gaming convention from the 70s. Uh, diplomacy, a diplom- big diplomacy event was being run, and Gary Gygax showed up and pitched his uh, new game, his new creation, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, to the room and took a third of the players out of there. <laughs> so, you know. I, th- I think uh, the the games have been intertwined since the beginning, or at least uh, the old time diplomacy organizers were super aggravated with guy <laughs> with guy gags back in the day. Um, I don't know, like I think uh, role playing is a very sociable game. Like I don't know how old y'all are, but when I was growing up, uh, it was. Uh, Board gaming was for like uh, antisocial nerds primarily. Like, so you know, diplomacy and D and D were kind of atypical because most of the time it'd be uh, bunker down with your buddies for a weekend and just like play a war game where you're like staring at the board and not talking. So you know, I think D and D shares a, a social social element with uh, diplomacy. No, that's cool. Um, you did mention that um, the, in in the, in the cartridge normal games, they're untimed rounds. Will will there, there be time? This presumably will be timed rounds though for e carnage. So for e carnage, the North American rounds will still be untimed, but the Pacific organizers will be doing timed rounds. Um, that's also uh, the primary reason I'm using a meta level ranking system because. Um, under Carnage scoring, solos are worth a prohibitively large amount of points, and it I don't want to unfairly devalue the Pacific games, and it's going to be very difficult for anyone to solo by, you know, whenever they're, they, they decide to end the games, like 1908 or whatever. So... I figure uh, it's it's fairer it's it's more level playing field if all the rounds output a ranking and then we average those rankings. So, so just how brutal do those games get if if it obviously so heavily um, favors a, a solo win? 
So ironically, um, when Carnage has not been uh, the North American Championships, uh, one of the biggest complaints among tournament sharks, although not among uh, newer to mid-range players who typically have loved Carnage scoring, um, has been that games end quickly, uh, which is counterintuitive until you consider that uh, how long a game is organically going to go is entirely dependent on the nature of the players in it. Like if you have casual players playing a game, they don't want to sit there for 14 hours trying to solo. You know, that's just the fact of the matter. Um, they would rather uh, play until the game seems played out and then call it amicably. Whereas the uh, diehard uh, tournament players are going to, you know, want to have a slugfest uh, and really try to get a good score so that they can propel themselves to a good tournament position. And neither position is wrong, uh, I don't think. Um, but uh, uh, we've had, you know, 14 plus hour games at Carnage. We've also had games end in uh, 1904 because unlike I think virtually every other tournament, I don't set a uh, game year limit on when, when you want to call the game. Like if, if you're Russia and you can con everybody else on the board into calling it before a piece has been moved, I feel like that's a massive victory of diplomacy. So, you know, if, if uh, unanimously uh, uh, the board agrees to call it, they can call it in any game year. Oh, uh, that reminds me. One one thing I forgot to mention uh, that Carnage does that um, other tournaments don't is uh, we have a, a unique seating system for the boards where um, the the two salient elements are one that uh, you can play the same country over and over again. Potentially, you're not pigeonholed into playing different countries in uh, each round. And the other thing is that. Um, there's a uh, before each round when the player registers for the round, they will provide an array of the seven the seven letters uh, for each country. So from first to seventh, what what they would prefer to play. So let's say they wanted to play France, they would put F first, and if they wanted to play uh, Austria next, they would put A. And so you get a seven letter array, which is then inputted into software, and Depending on the uh, inverse of their current tournament standing or uh, in the first round, uh, it's a random pr uh, priority. Players will get assigned uh, the countries they want if those countries are not full on every board. So you get uh, some modicum of choice in what you what country you get to play, and um, the, your, your degree of choice increases the worse you're doing in the tournament. That seems fair. That's a, yeah. Um, one thing I'm interested in, in exploring, and I'm, not, I'm assuming it's the same case over in the the North America Federation, is uh, in Australia there was like there's a, a scoring system for what's like the what's what was called dance, you know, the um, uh, covering Australia and New Zealand for diplomacy, so that when you turn up at a tournament and you play, depending on how you go, it kind of slowly builds up. Um, your standing, so to speak, um, in, in like a, I'll call it a ranking for lack of a better word, more broadly uh, when it comes to tournament participation. Does the same thing occur for um, for e-carnage? So um, 
It used to. Uh, we we in North America we used to distinguish uh, between tournament scoring systems and uh, rating system, uh, which is the uh, we had an old uh, old timer Buzz Eddie that used to run a rating system that was perpetually up and scored you know games over the course of years and years and years and then. Uh, he also ran a master point system, which I understand you also have in Australia. Um, and uh, he's passed on and no one picked up the mantle yet. So that's currently all in limbo. Uh, what we do have is I believe someone is still running what's called the North American Grand Prix, which is a uh, calculated yearly. And that just is a... Uh, who's done the best in the tournament circuits for that year. So I think that's still around, but the um, persistent ratings you're talking about, uh, those have fallen by the wayside for the moment. No, that's cool. Um, Dave, with, with some of the, the recent, um, I suppose, face-to-face -face, face -face tournaments not occurring because of COVID and everybody now tending to play these things virtually using Backstabber, um, and shit, my mind's gone blank. What's the other one called? <laughs> Discord. Discord. That's it. My my brain was wanting to say dial it. I'm going, I knew began with the D, but I couldn't remember. Discord. Um. So so had had you been involved in any of the other tournaments or or um online type of um, virtual games that have occurred since COVID? I haven't uh, signed up as a uh, uh, first level player in any of them, but I have participated as a game master and as a uh, replacement player in all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so normally on, on a normal uh, carnage event, when it was in a face-to-face -face type of environment, how many players would normally participate in that on average? Um, so it's when it started out, uh, we had one to two boards around years and years ago because um, it was very small. Uh, and also the gaming convention was smaller as well. Um, over the years, uh, it's grown and grown. And I think nowadays for an average event, we will get about uh, probably four to five boards around and much more for uh, DIPCON, which is the North American Championships. And do you have a bit of a feel for that current, um, I suppose, sign-up rates and things like that about a month or so out? Um, no, because I haven't really started uh, hard marketing it yet, even though we're getting close, because I'm waiting uh, – currently I'm waiting on uh, to hear when the uh, Pacific Games will uh, start times are. And once I have the uh, schedule of events fully set, then I'm going to be uh, going and – uh, hammering not just everyone I know, but also the uh, online sites and uh, like PlayDip and WebDip and Nexus and all of that. Um, just because since these events have started up, there's obviously the downside of you don't get to hang with your buddies. You know, it's not the same as being in person, but there has been a really, really uh, great boon to all this, which is the uh, increased crossover, which I have to credit Chris Martin for starting um, because he was he was the uh, one who first started to motivate online players to come out to uh, WDC uh, a few years ago. Um, and ever since then, there's been, you know, 
little break-ins to from uh, from each uh, from the face-to-face and online hobbies into the other one, and the virtual events have blown those doors open. And really, there's a lot of crossover, which is great because you get to not only experience a different meta, uh, but also when you play with the same crew all the time, it, it becomes, you know, a bit incestuous, tiresome, you know, like it's really great expanding the uh, hobby on both ends. And also, um, like I alluded to earlier, having the culture of uh, the best way I can put this is the culture of uh, younger players is just flatly better than the culture we older players have had. Um, and you know, it's partly our fault, but uh, the bringing, bringing in the culture of youth is really, I think a great boon for the hobby um, in so many ways. So you, you touched on a little bit earlier the fact that some of the uh, well some some old timers have not been quite as um, well, how would you put it what would what come from your exact words but they're a little bit more belligerent um, with with new players coming into the game particularly younger players do you see there's like um, I suppose a, a cultural change that's a little bit more well, I'll, I'll use air quotes around the word respectful oh a thousand percent. Like it's it's so much different. Um, mostly, uh, like you're gonna get different takes on this depending on who you talk to. But my my most profound uh, distinction between the two is that uh, when when I was uh, when I went to tournaments in like uh, the 2000s, for example, because uh, I think I started around 2000, 2001, something somewhere around there. For for a long time, that wasn't so long ago. But even then, like uh, you'd just be hanging out uh, with, and it's all it's all guys, you know. Like, and so of course, uh, when you're hanging out with all guys back then, like there, you're just going to be hanging out, you know, not doing anything, and all of a sudden, some like misogynistic bullshit is going to crop up where somebody's like you know, uh, objectifying or whatever, you know, and, and it just, it it was such a norm that it was, uh, you know, difficult to single out or speak, speak up against because it was so pervasive. But now with the influx of youth and, uh, women into the hobby, it's really there, you know, there's been a stark sea change and, there's there's really been a, a concerted effort and there's been some pushback uh, from individuals, but, you know, you can't stop the flow of progress ultimately. And there's been a real change in the direction of being respectful to everybody, which I think uh, couldn't be better. I agree. Totally. I totally agree. Um, in, in a hypothetical situation, for example, in, in I suppose when uh, someone hasn't, uh, follow that that type of respect um, culture. Is there how how's that get resolved normally? Is that kind of through the uh, North America Diplomacy Federation or, or what? So it depends on the event. Um, is the short answer, but there's three levels to it, potentially three levels to it. Uh, one is that the tournament director is going to have authority at their event, and they're going to have something in place to address it in the moment. 
Um, there is now, as I mentioned earlier, the North American uh, Diplomacy Federation's Code of Conduct. So if the tournament director reports the uh, incident to that body, then they will start an investigative, investigative I can't pronounce the word, but in, uh, uh, an inquiry um, and form a committee that will look into it. And uh, then potentially there will be discipline that will span all the tournaments uh, in, under their umbrella in North America. And the third level is only present at the few events that are held at broader conventions like uh, Carnage, where um, Carnage itself has its own harassment policy. Um, so uh, when if something happens on my watch, I not only deal with it in the moment and report it to the NADF, but I also uh, will bring it to them and they will address it uh, uh, as a third tier. So um, have, have but you know bef before uh, the NADF code of conduct, there uh, there were no real guidelines beyond you know the community's sense of don't be an asshole so uh that didn't always wasn't always uh sufficient it, you know you you want to believe uh that uh behaving well is akin to you know n no understanding not to put your cat in the microwave but it turns out in both cases you need you need to have a structure you know no, that, that that's cool. Um, as, as a question, Dave, how many um, how many carnages have you been the tournament director for for the diplomacy games that are there? I don't really remember. Um, I've been, been the carnage. I, yeah, I mean, I I ran it. I ran a couple uh, years years ago. Then I moved away, and they uh, replaced me with some locals and I started running um, Tempest and a teapot, which is the DC area tournament. And then uh, uh, I stopped when I, when I stepped down from that position, uh, it turned out at, uh, in a coincidence uh, that the uh, carnage staff didn't have anybody to run their diplomacy events. So I grudgingly agreed to, you know, drive a bunch of diplomacy materials up there and back every year. So I'm I'm the only uh, I'm the only DC area uh, attendee of Carnage that is unable to fly because I have got a ton of shit to lug. Uh, but you know, I, I think uh, it's worked out uh, f for everybody um, except me because. The hub, the event has grown. People really have come to enjoy it. Uh, one of the big barriers of Carnage in the past has been its distance from an airport. But once people have gone there, um, I think they've really come to appreciate not just the venue, but the camaraderie and the uh, fun and casual nature of the event. Like there's a lot of uh, fun awards typically. Um, and the uh, uh, it's 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 observably tr been true over time, having been around this hobby for I don't know, going on 20 years, uh, that uh, carnage scoring, whatever its other flaws may be, uh, promotes a an amicable um, environment and as best you can in a contentious game like diplomacy. And there's 
observably less uh, conflict uh, at or at Carnage than there has been in the past at other events, and you know, less uh, yelling, less meltdowns, etc. So, consider that a plus. So, so in that time, Dave, has there been any times where you, as the tournament director, have been walking around or afterwards um, looking at games and going? finding something uh, really interesting or entertaining about anything does does any game stand out in your mind over that period oh um uh, so one of the standing awards i uh have is you know what a the uh old school toy uh, barrel of monkeys is yep yeah so uh I would get a, I would procure a barrel of monkeys, which is not easy to do. Let me tell you, because those are not in widespread circulation anymore. But um, I would get a, procure a barrel of monkeys, and then over the course of the tournament, when I'm walking around, as you said, I, if a play on a board was just really atrocious in my estimation, I would just slam the uh, barrel of monkeys and down, and it would sit there as my personal condemnation of all the players on that board. Um, and then over the course of every round, uh, I would track where the Barrel of Monkeys had spent the longest amount of time. And at the end of the tournament, uh, I would open up the Barrel of Monkeys and all the players on the board that had it the longest would receive a monkey because they were monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> and and has, it, has it been a regular winner of, of all those monkeys over the years? <laughs> No, uh, actually, those monkeys have moved around a lot. Um, the there have the the one event that uh, the one award that has had regular winners is the Emotional Meltdown Award, which has typically been a, a tiara and a bo- feathered boa. Although uh, one year I got a Hello Kitty thing that was like uh, a skull cap with long tails that went to, all the way down to the back of the knees and was fuzzy and. But the, the the emotional meltdown award has been dominated by uh, the same few people. But surprisingly, the barrel of monkeys has really moved around over the years. So, so will there be similar awards this year in the virtual environment? Um, I will uh, endeavor to figure out something. But really, I think what what I'm going to try to do for is a. Uh, not give out uh, physical awards much, uh, if at all, this year, and try to just pull everything I would say, typically sink into that into uh, a fund that would, or maybe an award. I, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out the structure of it. Uh, if it's, but essentially something to uh, help someone who would be unable otherwise. Uh, economically to attend the face to face the next time we're able to hold a face to face carnage to get them there like maybe uh, uh comp their plane tickets and you know i'm always able to help find crash space for people with the because uh robert Roos and the carnage staff graciously provide us with a uh large suite um for diplomacy every year where not only i am housed but i can also house the needy so um uh, like it's not it's not infinite uh and one year i had to supplement it by uh get getting a second space on out of my own pocket for people but you know i think um one one of the biggest uh one of the greatest things about 
the hobby, if not, that's probably the greatest is uh, a lot of the people you meet and um, tournament organizers. I know typically sink. I don't uh, unless you're unless you're really really savvy, you end up sinking like four digits into these things, um, and sometimes more. Like I, I think uh, the guy who uh, ran the Washington Athletic Club uh, event in Seattle, Mark Zoffel, probably sank more like five figures out of his pocket. So I think uh, br- helping out uh, younger players uh, or players in need that wouldn't otherwise be able to travel really enhances the experience for everyone cool um looking you mentioned before that dave that the um the information around how the tournament's going to be run has only just been really landed on in the last couple of days going to the carnage con website uh, so carnagecon.com diplomacy the information there i think is still a little bit dated about some previous games um, it's completely is, outdated. Uh, where you would want to be is on the Discord. Uh, that's all up to d- the Carnage Diplomacy uh, Discord that I created a few weeks back. Is That's all up to date. Um, you can find the invites on uh, any number of other Discord Diplomacy sites, although sadly not Nexus because they don't allow you to post links. Um, but there's links to it. I, th- I think I've got permanent links to it on uh, the uh, the uh, Pacific Diplomacy League site, the North American site, the uh, Weasel Moot sites, the you know a, a, a bunch of a bunch of dis- all the discords that I'm aware of, and I'm allowed to post a link to it. I've posted a link to it on. Cool. Um, we'll try to track down where that is and see if we can add it into our show notes as well, so that anyone listening can kind of tune in there and find out some more information that would um, be awesome yeah no cool very 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 happy to kind of support it uh Kane, i haven't got any further questions how about you no no very interesting though thank you very much awesome dave well thank you so much for coming on to the show uh was there anything that we haven't touched on that you wanted to talk about at all um, just the, the, the one thing I always tell people, so I may as well uh, tell your audience as well, is that, uh, the difference between a mid-level player and a top-level player is confidence primarily, and no matter how irrational it is to, with understanding how rarely solos happen, to sit down to the board and think to yourself, uh, I'm going to solo, you still have to have that attitude. Uh, if you're going to eventually, you know, become a top tier player, you, you it's, it's completely insane, but regardless, you have to have the belief in yourself. You have to have the confidence that you can do it because going for it, even if you fail, gives you the practice you need. And uh, that, that's really the only other thing I, I would have to add. That's good advice. Absolutely. Um, Dave, I think that's a bit of a wrap. Thank you so much for your time today and for um, sharing your knowledge around eCarnage and hopefully lots of our listeners get excited and sign up as well. Yeah, I hope so too. Thanks for having me on and thanks for all you're doing for the hobby. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Is that a welcome back? Or and, what? and we're back. We're back. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, another thing that's happening amongst that is the top board's going to have a boss run alongside it. 
yeah, you, you mentioned to that me just when we turned up, and I thought, that is amazing. Where, where, how did you find that out? Well, it's I've signed up onto the Discord channel. Oh, okay, so, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't done that yet. And oh, Well, are you, you're on Discord, aren't you? Yeah, but I don't go to it as often as I probably should. Well, I've been posting our episodes okay, on Nexus yep. anyway. Um, but long and the short of it, I um, Dave put it out there. Basically, um, after our interview, would, would anyone be interested in participating in a boss on the top game? And um, I said, yeah, fuck yeah. Hell yeah, absolutely. So going to be involved that way at least so are you going to be as a player or a, help, a, a helpful participant as someone who's got experience running bosses oh no I'll play I'll just be a player someone else will be running the actual boss well it'll be good for you to actually have that other side of the, the fence so to speak yeah well when you think about the boss that we well I ran in um, at VDIP it's very much uh, it's a hybrid version of what boss mm-hmm. is essentially in that um, you know the idea is that you're playing, you're yep. playing horse alongside a game where the players themselves in that game are playing against each other, and they're not really too, they're not concerned with what's happening with the horse. So we might just for, for, for listeners who don't know what the horse is, um, I think we've talked about it a couple of times in previous episodes. We'll link to it in the show notes. But essentially, it's a bunch of non-playing players, if I can call it that who are participating on how well the players are actually going on the top board, where you've yeah, got, a, um, yep. what is it, currency value for each of their their uh, their dollars. So, for example, in a, in a top board situation, you'd be able to play um, buying into very... You might have a certain amount to start with, like a thousand US dollars. And at that point in time, one US dollar equals one unit currency of every other player on the board. So one British pound, one French franc, one... German mark, etc. And as the game progresses, and some players do well and other players don't do well, the value of the currency goes up and down. Yeah, that's right. So for every 100 units of a currency that's sold, the price of that currency goes down um, one cent, I think. Yes, and for every 100 units that are bought, it goes up one cent. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So the price fluctuates. But you know, you can have as many players playing the boss as you know as sign up to it. Yep. So a hundred players are playing boss. Say, um, everyone sells one hundred units of turkey, then the price drops to what one cent. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Essentially, for the price of buying a stock in that country. So, but the the winning conditions for the boss players is based on the value of the stock is it the value of their held currency at yep. the end of the game and but if a country's eliminated then that stock gets in, struck off the bourse but doesn't the number of supply centers also come into effect no it doesn't no the supply centers are an indicator of how well a country is going ah, okay. and hence makes a country's stock more desirable for the yep. bourse players hmm so it's kind of just like the stock market to a certain extent where, you know, you can bet on a winner, so to speak, but you're not going to get a huge return. Or you can take a bit of a, a risk, you know, bet heavy on Turkey in that example, and you're either going to dig your dough or you're going to make a mozza. Yeah. I, I, well, yes. I mean, buy low, 
sell high to get more money to buy more stock of a country that might be doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's that whole meta around it as well. Like if you see who's playing who, right? Who's playing what country? I mean, if Peter McNamara picks up England, England, so go on, I'm going to bet heavy on England, right? So. Um, even if he's down to one or two supply centres. Yeah, well, that's right. He can come back to <laughs> economically almost solo. <laughs> yeah, so... Especially if uh, he teams up with Mel Cole. <laughs> yeah, if she pulls Russia, well, you know, where my money's going. So. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and the other thing, of course, about that, this particular interview I found very, very interesting, apart from obviously talking about carnage. Well, actually, let's talk about the carnage bit first, the carnage bit. Yep. The fact that there's going to be two separate competitions, a North American competition and a Asia-Pacific zone competition. Yeah, which is great for us. So I might be able to jump on a board, actually. Wow. Well, you yeah, might need some practice first. How to do the whole... Yeah. yeah. Figure out how to do the whole virtual stuff first. Well, maybe as I go. But, yeah. No, it's good that there's two yeah. groups. That makes it more world, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... But I, I think the, the the challenge will be uh, any real hardcore serious players knowing full well that they're going to have to straddle a opposing time zone. You know what I mean? So you're going to have to do two in your local time zone and one in a other side of the world time zone, which is good because if that's, that's a fair level playing field. For a world championship. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but it's not a world championship. So, And that was the other thing I think that was interesting, the fact that this year and next year there won't be a World Diplomacy Championship as a result of colluding in a cabal of diplomacy. <laughs> so, I thought it was... No, 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 it's all been pushed back a year, so yeah. World Diplomacy for 2021, but the Thailand won 2022, so this year's World Dip goes to 2021. Oh, okay, maybe I'll have yeah. to go back and re-listen to the interview, because maybe I was too tired that morning, I can't remember. You, you, you're usually pretty good at this stuff, so I'm going to take your word on this, Kainer, and <laughs> Go with that. Except when you've had too many drinks and then you just talk shit. I do talk rubbish when I've had too many drinks. Mm. So, that's okay. So, 2022 will be in Thailand now. Yes. Yep. Push it back a year. Yep. Which is good. I didn't buy any tickets to go overseas next year yet. No, I haven't either. This whole COVID thing happened, and so, yeah, no, I'm just going to wait and see. Yep, yep. So, good. Even though they're probably cheap, the chances of actually getting on a flight at this point in time. Well, and then depending to. on how, I mean, I don't know what other countries are doing, but like in Australia, if you come back and you've been somewhere, well, sorry, at the moment, you can't go overseas. You're actually not allowed, good, you're not allowed to come overseas, are you? Without a bloody good reason. Without, you know, special approval from the government or something. Yep, yep. And going off to play WDC in Thailand, probably. Even if you're representing your country. Even if you're probably Andrew Goff and you're a former world champion, probably wouldn't... <laughs> wouldn't pass know. muster. Speaking of Andrew Goff, yeah, what about oh. that article in Popular Mechanics? Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, I don't know what it's going to do with Popular Mechanics, but <laughs> if, if, if it helps get the word out about the game to a whole heap of new players, that's fantastic news. It is, yeah, it's... Um, and it's a really good article to read. It was a fun article to yeah. read. Yep, got a bit of insight there. Mel Cole got a... Um, Got a shout out in yeah. there as well. David Hood. David Hood. Yeah. Nakamura yeah. was in there. I think his name got name dropped. Name dropped. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, look, it just goes to show, like, this game's got, it does have tentacles, doesn't it? Right? Like, mm. there's, it, 
crops up in weird and wonderful places. Like a, a few episodes ago, I mentioned um, there was a article in the um, in the Foreign Affairs magazine. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it just crops up in places. It's, um, people have been interested in this game crop up in de- different walks of life. Um, and it, 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 I find that fascinating. Yeah, definitely find it fascinating. Yeah, it's good. It's good. So, um, uh, I, the other thing I suppose I just should just mention about that, that article with Gothi I found really good was it was almost like a synopsis, I felt, of his interview that he did with us during Poppycon. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Around his approach and his strategy towards the game. Yep. And it was really interesting kind of getting the uh, the take from both David Hood and from Mel Cole in the interview around Coffee's play. And it really did line up, you know, the fact that, you know, he does play for the, the long haul, you know, strategy, so to speak, about how, you, how you're viewed as a player in the broader community. So it's not just go out, stab, stab, stab like crazy, although that works for some people. He's obviously he's, uh, his approach is quite different. And yeah, well, you, yeah, well, you're playing the meta then, aren't you? Yeah, and, and the, you're playing the long game, the, long the game. super long game, the super long game. Yeah. Playing it for the uh, yeah. No, no, I appreciate. it. I get it. I understand it. it. Makes sense. Are you going to be involved with Carnage? Are you going to sign up? Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't yet, but I will definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Check I out any other board games. I don't think I have time. I mean, once you allow for the the two games in the Australian zone and then a game over in America as well, yeah, you've written off the whole weekend. Yeah. And who'd want to play other games anyway? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the diplomacy is the game of games, is it not? Indeed, it is. Oh, and he mentioned Gary Gygax. That's a hundred percent. Oh yes, true. Yeah. Gary Gygax was a um, a prolific diplomacy player. Mm-hmm before he invented Dungeons and Dragons and it was part of that whole role playing element of diplomacy that pretty much caused him to invent the game of diplomacy without a ball. Yep. More or less in Dungeons and Dragons. So yeah. But with a very much a random element. Well shitload yeah, of dice yeah, well, in, 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 in diplomacy of dice and, and, and many sided dice compared to uh, a zero dice environment in diplomacy. Yeah, the other game he was um, heavily influenced by was a um, was a tabletop war game. So he used to he was very big into war gaming in yeah. general. Yep. Um, so that tabletop kind of like war, what Warhammer is now, but prior to Warhammer. Right. Yep. Um, so these, this, this had a heavy influence on how he um, probably structured Dungeons and Dragons in that he, he took the role-playing element from diplomacy and his love for the, um, well, the statistical outcomes of die in war, or war, war gaming um, to create Dungeons and Dragons. So, so, so speaking around different games, I, I, I saw, this was actually posted on... Um, was reposted from uh, Legendary Tactics, oh, yeah. and it was a an article in the Washington Post, not about diplomacy, but about a game called Twilight Struggle. Oh, I remember this game. So, Did you interview someone with this? No, 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 no. But this is kind of like a, a board game of you know the the US against the USSR. Oh, I've got this game at home. Um, it's a two player game. And and yes, 
so it's it'd be interesting to see what you know a bit of a crossover that I suppose a two player game you're dealing more with the tactics dealing with the cards I, I've sat down with that game a number of times to try and read the rules and figure it out mm-hmm. um, I, I feel like that's a game I need to sit with someone who's played it already or who knows how to play it and explain it to me as we play the game um, but yeah I mean it's set during the Cold War yep um, the USSR versus the US, and I believe I think it's set set just like in well, yeah during the Cold War itself, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it follows a timeline of the Cold War, but depending on how you play your cards and how you situate your pieces, it has different outcomes to the Cold War. Yeah. And uh, uh, apparently, in this is interesting though. So sorry, this is a bit, a bit of a digression, I guess, from the diplomacy area, but. Um, in, in online forums, fans of the game there have invented their own ongoing cards, so to speak, with how things are now. Oh, really? So, yeah. um, you know, there's certain cards about, you know, Trump abandoning European allies to court Putin and things like that. Oh. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of the Commander-in-Chief, so... Um, At time of recording. Time of recording. He's currently in hospital. Um... So you're, you're waiting for this... Actually, I, I was surprised that you didn't have any Secret Service detail here in case you got shoulder tapped to <laughs> back a, a gig or something. What surprises me is how few of the... Um, how few of them in the line of succession in America are actually in quarantine right now to self-isolate. That's a plus. Well, yeah, but if you kind of literally quarantine yourself totally, then... You can't go off and do a lot of the job you'd expect that these people would normally have to do, wouldn't you? Or quarantine or isolation, yeah. Um, yeah, it just... It, it does surprise me that there's not more of a... You and that. Yeah, anyway, but it's been interesting watching it all on the Twitterverse and the Reddit sphere. Yep. What's, um, there's lots of different opinions out there. <clears throat> I guess... Um, you know, the fella has said so many mistruths out during his time that there's a significant group of people out there who's sort of going, well, you know, why should we trust that this is an actual diagnosis? Why should we trust that he's legitimately caught COVID and he's not using it as a, some sort of political stunt? Had his own bit of fake news. And for his own bit of fake-generated news, yeah. But wouldn't it kind of backfire a bit if he then actually then went on and actually did get it properly? Well, yeah, I suppose. Um, but then, you know, I mean, what, what, what's the... Um, what, what's the final verdict on whether or not you can catch it twice? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I must admit, I, I do think that's a bit of bullshit because, you know... You can, you can kind of have certain... Okay, so you had, like, the other day where all these doctors came out who obviously have been looking after him and they said, oh, we're doing this, and he had this happen to him, and blah, 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 blah. And, yes, those doctors may have their own personal political persuasions, but I would have thought, professionally, they wouldn't lie as doctors collectively standing behind the dude at the front. Yeah, but there's a history. There's, there's a long history of... Um presidents withholding their you know medical problems from the or tax records or tax records for that matter yeah <laughs> no no but I mean it goes like 
yeah. you know, that 750 bucks, it's got to go into healthcare, so he's got to kind of get some value out of the US government. <laughs> the Affordable Care Act helps him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, a couple of other things. I just want to give um, not only self. Uh, sorry, I'll give yourself a, an update on this kind of because I haven't actually told you about this. Oh yeah, uh, but our listeners as well. Uh, I've got to find the, the thing at the moment. Uh, this is your developing. Okay. Variant that you've been working on. Oh, it's not really working. But anyway, um, so just in case listeners hear this in, in a strange order or whatever like that, uh, been in touch with brother brother board. Oh yeah. And um, Mrs. Brother board has digitally enhanced the interview, remastered it from what, what, what we did with him so that now when you go and listen to it he's got his whole robotic brotherboard voice <laughs> I love it <laughs> so when this podcast goes live I'll set, I'll put up also the remastered version okay so hopefully subscribers won't get it coming up in their feed again but future people listening to the brotherboard episode will kind of get robot brotherboard <laughs> I, lo- I love the I love the helmet. I think about the whole get up, the gear. I find it highly amusing. Taking, um, you know, your, your anonymity to the next level. It's not just that. I'm like, sorry, I, I love his videos where he's kind of like he's he's lying in, in bed, you know, trying to dream up things and whatever. Still in his brother board costume. <laughs> yes. No, I, I think it's a clever get up. Yep. So, um, I'd love to know the reasoning why he chose, like, like to actually get an analysis from Brother Board again, like get him online and have to have another discussion with him, like just breaking down his costume, where he got the mask, the, the helmet from, where why he chose. Isn't blue, it just like why? a motorbike helmet, and he's just put one of those those goggle things underneath it, and then put on like an old, you know, marching band uniform or something? Oh. Well, is it a marching band uniform? Because I thought it was like a drummer boy type. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I suppose. Well, I suppose that is marching Yeah, yeah in America, they all have that yeah, shit, don't they? Well, do they? Yeah, well, anyway, but... Yeah, I'd love to get him back online and, or back on the show and have a chat around it. What I would love is when we've got face-to-face happening... Can you imagine, like, if they have WDC next year in Carnage and he turns up in the costume? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or for the, um... For the, for the dress up event oh yeah or any event the top hat the whole time top hat the whole top hat the monocle yes so um, other stuff that's been going around which I thought was quite interesting in the news was you had a um, something that came up in the discord forum about uh, Go Horns Go I think at the moment, all I'm doing is just touching on fellow players in the Media Wars game, but we'll get to that soon. Did you play against Go Horns Go? Yeah, Go Horns Go played, yeah. On the media panel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So he's posted in the public commentary on um, Discord a photo of his um, diplomacy collection, which is, um, I have to say, it's quite impressive. He's, he's, um, and we'll put the photo... Yeah, yeah, we'll embed it all um, like that. We'll just rip off your IP, go horns, go. I hope you don't mind. 
Um, so in the top left, he's got his 1971 diplomacy board. And on the top right of this, so it's a big cupboard, and the top right he's got his 1976 French edition board, both sitting open, so you can see the differences there. Um, on the first shelf, he's got an... Mind you, he's smart, because his way's positioned that he's not getting all that natural light fading the, the quality. Yeah, 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 yeah. And on the, the next shelf down, he's got two versions of the 1976 um, edition of Diplomacy, one opened and one unopened. So Ooh. never been unpacked, right? The second and third shelves are the 40th and 50th anniversary editions, right? Yep. And the next shelf under that is stuff that he's bought from Mr. Calhammer's estate. Oh! Which, I thought that was the... You said that just miscellaneous shit. What is it? Um, including some crazy carved blocks, his musings on chess, and a book he wrote on the game, which Ooh. he hasn't yet read. I know that Calhammer actually wrote a was it a book or an article around the game. Is that what he's talking about? Yes. So if I pull up the actual photo itself and um, zoom in on that uh, particular stuff, because he's got some old, like he's got some really old versions of diplomacy sitting there on the bottom shelf. Yep. Um, he's got some carved wooden blocks. I can see. Why is he saying random stuff? But the. Um, the book itself is called yeah, Cal Hammer on Diplomacy, um, something, 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 something I can't read by Alvin Cal Hammer, inventor of the game of Diplomacy. I think that's even available online somewhere as a PDF. Probably would be. Um, and he's got this thing around chess, outpost squares in chess. Maybe there's a variant there. I don't know. But he's, yeah, so pretty impressive, actually. Yep. Um, so I know where. Now I know who um, did well on the Kahalmer estate. Well, so, one of uh, many ago. people. Yeah, many people. So, um, yeah, thank you for sharing Go Horns Go because that's a, that's an impressive collection. It is. It's I, a very I, impressive. Yeah. I love. I personally love seeing the different maps just there to look at. I'd be interested to see how many other um, players, listeners of the show, and so forth have a similar collection whether anyone can kind of outdo his his um what he's got needless to say i think go horns go really likes to go not to close man after my own hour yeah so um so speaking of of go horns go and others so the um i'll, I'll just move mosey on into around the grounds if i could and that give an update around the Media Wars game, which has yep. actually now finished. Yeah. But unlike what I understood, which was play to the death, there can only be one, you know. Well, you were eliminated early on. Well, I think I was yeah. the first player eliminated, that's correct. But the, the game ended up in a draw. Oh, who drew? Uh, so the topping the board was Brotherboard. Well done, Brotherboard. Well as done. Germany on 14 supply centres. Um, second up was Legendary Tactics as Austria, getting 11. Oh, really? I picked, I picked Legendary Tactics as being Russia. No, that was Captain Mean. Captain Mean. Captain Mean was Russia. He got Good eight supply yep. centres. Okay. And uh, substituting towards the end was the Village Idiot. At um, He got one supply centre as, as Italy. Substituting for? Um, someone who had to leave the game midway through. Right. I think it was one of the, the writers for uh, Diplomacy Briefing. 
Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. But uh, yeah, Gahuan's go. He was eliminated as France. I was Turkey, and I got eliminated. Um, and England, which was, um, um, I think it was Zach Moore. He got eliminated too. Ooh. On behalf of the Diplomacy Broadcast Network. So. Um, okay. <laughs> It was a pretty ruthless game. I don't, actually, I'll, just, I'll show you the map if you want to have a look. That's the, the last one before we had bills and everything. Okay, yep, righto. Okay, so Russia's split England with Germany, essentially. Yep. But there looks like it was gearing up to be some sort of conflict between the two. Well, yes. I mean, I think basically there, there was some... Uh, from my recollection of this game, both Russia and Austria were thick as thieves... Um, and you can kind of even see that with the way that they were positioning themselves the whole time and I think it pretty much ended up Italy ended up helping them out to slow Germany down I suppose to a begrudging draw but look that's just my view from the outside because once I got eliminated I could no longer see any of the press disappeared disappeared so um, I I do hope and expect that um, uh, those three main players hopefully Brotherboard, Legendary Tactics, and Captain Meme will put something out on their respective platforms. We're expecting an end-of-game statement. I would love an end-of-game statement, or even more likely just a, a breakdown of the game and how it all went. Uh-huh. And um, hopefully there's a little bit of light ribbing towards how terrible Landy went in the game as Turkey. Oh, look, I, I, I'm, I'm quite comfortable <laughs> with, with medium level of aggressive ribbing. <laughs> light ribbing, I think, is a bit light, a bit, bit piss weak. Um, <laughs> the devil's due where it's due, eh? And look, at the end of the day, both from my personal perspective, I just I couldn't crowbar apart by the legendary tactics and Captain Mean. They were just like, nah, good, gun it for it, go. Okay. And it really just goes to show, um, and I can't remember who said it on once previously on the podcast, but if you have Austria and Russia gunning for Turkey, you've got no fucking chance. No hope in hell. No. Right. So this ended in the fall of 1911. Uh, no, actually, I think, it, I think it ended up drawing in spring, beginning of spring 1912 or something Oh, like okay, that, yeah. 1912, so after builds, so yeah, yeah, yeah. 1912. So there were builds, and then they kind of drew the game. Drew it up. Well, oh, well done. That's a good game. Oh, yeah, because actually Italy ended up getting to two, because Austria supported Italy into Tunis which was previously an Austrian supply centre but anyway for the hell of it well I think just to kind of counter everything and whatever counter Germany who is the eminent threat okay okay so I'm looking forward to to hearing how those guys from the other media creators yeah yeah okay okay um I'm getting a bit low on my drinks you are do you want another probably do something else um, Did you want to go up to the bar and check what else you wanted instead? How about I just pause and then we'll yeah, work it out. Pause it. And we're back. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, food's here already. Yeah. Thanks. Is that mine or yours? Oh, you oh, hang on. Where are we? Oh, you've gone no, to no, interactive okay. map. Have I? Yeah. No, oh, we don't okay. want to go to interactive map. We'll just, just go to whatever. Now well, you've gone interactive. No, have, no, no, we don't want interactive. No, we don't want interactive. It's preview. Oh, preview. Right. Okay, sorry. Our fuck-ups. Yes. So we're just having a look at the... Um, the winning this, game. This, this winning game. So, so, which is called... What's it called? 
Winning is for losers. Winning is for losers, yeah. Um, so basically, what's the premise of this? So there's a long-running thread on VDIP called the winning thread, essentially, where it's the third-to-last person who posts wins the thread. And of course, that's just not ever going to win whilst people are... It's never going to finish, essentially, whilst people are actively participating. But you said it was going to finish, and then nothing happened. Well, Ollie, for a long period... Well, for a period there, was considering changing the format of the forum yeah. uh, to something that mirrors what web has. And um, the Russian side has, right? Yeah, yep. Bringing the forum into the 21st century. Um, second decade of the 21st century. Yes, it was already here in the 21st century. Yep. Um, How's your new beer, by the way? Was it the Green nice Beacon Green Rappler. Beacon Rappler. We should go to the awesome. Green Beacon one day, too. Where is that? It's in... Um, Newstead or Tenerife or somewhere like that. Okay, yeah, we should. So it's a little bit longer for you to go, but well, such as it is. Yeah. Um, anyway, so this has been a long-running forum thread on VDIP, um, and essentially you came up with the idea of making a game kind of based around how the forum thread functions. So. My understanding is that it, the person who that there's a GM of the game, yep. and if you happen to be the third to last person posting on that thread at a given point when the GM decides, then you have the option to. Well, you have the option, or do you have to? No, you have to. You have to ask the GM. Which is Ubercation. To sorry, Ubercation is the GM. Ubercation is the GM. Um, to tell another player on the board as, as a, a move that they have to do. Yep. And everyone on that board signed up for this game with the understanding that they uh, will we'll follow, through with, follow through with what the GM tells them they have to do. Mm. Right. So, it's a couple of seasons in now. Yep. Um, is it... No, it's not anonymous. It's not anonymous? No. It's an unranked game? Okay, great. So we can talk about it to our hearts and content. You're playing England. Yep. Um, and you're doing reasonably well. You've got. Um, what do you mean doing reasonably well? I've only got one supply centre. I'm sorry, I've got four. I've only picked up Norway. And we're in, what, spring. Oh no, five now. You're right. Spring 902. Yeah, no, I was I, autumn I, I consider yourself to. I consider you to be in a reasonably good spot. I oh, mean, you've got. Um, what year is it? Ah, it's built autumn 902, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, so you're not far, you know, you've, you've got five builds, okay. five units. Um, it's build phase, you've got three units on the, four units on the board. You have Norway and you've just convoyed an army into Holland with support from France. Uh, France. Yep. Um, it looks to me like Russia is moving to be friendly with you and that you've got some sort of non-aggression pact with France. That's a pretty good summary. So, so far, not too bad. Not, not too a bad, bad opening. Not yeah. bad, not bad. So, um, Quite unlike me. Sorry. Recently, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so France has just moved to the North, North Africa, mm-hmm. um, by the looks of it, to threaten Italy. Mm. He has indicated to me that he was requested to do that as part of the... He wasn't... Someone else won that particular round. 
So um, he wasn't pleased with that, but he subsequently had conversations with Italy and reassured Italy it wasn't intentional. Oh. The thing that's interesting about this, though, well, it looks like a good move. But, but you know, it I'm is a good move. I'm surprised he didn't follow up with Spain to Western Mediterranean. Yes, that's right. Maybe that would have been too much of an aggressive move to follow through with it. Okay, so he's attempting to signal to Italy that you know this is a. How much of that sort of duplicity is going on in this? Because I well, can that's see the thing as well. I mean, some people apparently there has been conversations around the fact that you can um, purport or pretend to someone else that a certain move was requested. When it you, really wasn't. When it yeah. really wasn't. But, then, you, but then you're betting on the fact that that, that person yeah. doesn't actually know what the real move was. They weren't the one who yes. gave it to the, yeah. uh, to the boss. Yeah, You have to be careful about that. And I've been requested so far once to... Um, to I, I had a forced move. Oh, what was your forced move? Well, it was earlier on when, um, when I was at the time allied with Germany and I was trying to help Germany into Sweden and Russia won the winning thread that time and I had to support him from Gotha the thing you're into Sweden. Okay. Have you had a force have you had a move that you've been able to get people to force? Not yet. Not yet. No. Okay. I'm looking forward to that day. Right here. And it doesn't count on retreats or builds. Correct. It's only spring okay. and fall. So so there's been four forced moves so far in the game. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Right, great, thank you. Alright, so if it wasn't you that forced Mid-Atlantic Ocean to North Africa then judging by the location of the Italian fleet in the Aegean Sea I would be thinking that it was Austria or Turkey Actually I hadn't thought about Turkey I, I, I assumed it must have been Austria but it could have been Turkey Praying a bit of argy bargy over that way. Mm. It makes the most logical sense. But is is it a fun is it a fun variant? Yeah, actually, it is. Yeah, because you've got your normal run of the mill classic game, but then you've got this random element where one person's doing something different every turn, but you don't theoretically know what it is. Mm. But you you can disclose it though. So I'll give you an example. At one stage. I think it was um, France had ordered Germany to move Munich to Tyrolia. France had ordered Germany to move Munich yeah. to Tyrolia. So it was yep. spring 901. So yep. basically that allowed France to move into Burgundy unopposed. Okay. But in doing so, Germany obviously reached out, understandably, to Austria, said, France has asked me to do, sorry, I've been asked to do this, I assume it's France. Um, that would be the assumption. I don't want to have war with you, so can we just bump, you know, bounce in Tyrolia instead? Ah, so you did can they? Move? Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. Because it's pretty weird Munich moving to Tyrolia in the first season. Unless first you want to gain control of Burgundy. Or do something. Yeah. No. Why would Germany move to Tyrolia? I know, but... It'd be a very unusual attack. Unless he knew that Italy was moving to Tyrolia for an attack against Austria, 
and he wanted to stop that because he was supporting Austria to become the survival. Mm. Not sure, Kana. But um, yeah, so that one's that one's actually going all right for me at the moment, which is very unusual. I'm wondering if I've kind of had a bit of a slight change of you know luck about time. Uh, another game. If only game, wasn't unranked, dude. If he wasn't unranked, that's right. <laughs> Still, it's for the love of the game, Amby, isn't it? Yes, Kaner, it's for not the love the of ranking. the game. Yeah, it's not about the <laughs> ranking. Um, my uh, my Italian Stallions game, which is that Machiavelli game, which oh, yeah. is anonymous. I've actually had a... So I was doing not... Sorry, I was doing badly again. But I managed to kind of pick up a build. And I think I may be able to kind of just make a little bit of gains because I'm getting a little bit of love from one player who I thought was going to attack me. Who are you? This one? No, this one. This, this guy? No, this one. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, well, you're not doing well in there at all. I was doing better than before because at the start, I literally got to the end of the first game year and didn't pick up a, a single supply centre well that's not too good that's right but now I've got one ok and I've got a friend for the moment friends are good in this game it's good to cultivate friends and this okay. is a, um, a gunboat game too so you can't communicate which sucks but anyway I signed up for it it's the map what you remember it to be it's actually a really good map. It's quite complex. It's got a lot of... Um, in a relatively small space, you've got a lot of different players. I think there's eight players in a particular variant. And you can kind of see the fact that Turkey's kind of moved across into the uh, middle of the... Oh, sorry, the, the back of the knee, so to speak, in, in the boot of Italy. Yep. You've got... Um, uh, what's that card? Actually, the... Um, Florence, who has managed to kind of land in Provence and create issues for France. So there's a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of dynamic occurring, you know what I mean? People can move around a fair amount without being crazy. Hmm. So it's my understanding of the Machiavelli variant that it actually has additional rules but the the board itself there might have been was there additional rules for the Pope or anything or not I can't remember, I can't remember. There was Pope rules I think there were city rules siege rules mm. you know, stuff like this um, but this is normal diplomacy rather than so there's nothing no special rules there no if you had the opportunity to buy the board in the box would you? Um, probably not Okay. Why? Just wondering. <laughs> you haven't bought it, have you? No, I haven't. <laughs> I wonder if it was out there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, and my other game I'm in at the moment, which is the Declaration of War game. Oh, this is the one you weren't doing that well in the last one, were you, on this one? No, and I'm still doing poorly. Okay. So I think this, is this anonymous again? Doesn't look like it. It's unrated, not it's un anonymous. Unrated, not okay, cool. So I'm 
British Columbia. And I'm doing the best I can under a tricky situation. So, so I think, I don't think we talked about this in the normal episode. I think we talked about this in the Patreon episode where I was allied with Heartland. But Heartland appeared to also be allied with Quebec. Oh, uh, yep, yep. Long story short, Quebec and I end up coming into conflict over Greenland. Okay. As you do. Mm-hmm. Which then created Heartland, even though it was my ally, he became in limbo mode and then he joined up with Quebec and formally announced his intention to declare war on me. So now I'm currently finding two players, which is Quebec and Heartland, the blue one and the green one. Who's this yellow player? That's me. Oh, this blue one's a Heartland. Yeah. Okay. So, California is a non-playing player, so to speak. He's the GM, which is player five. Alright. So he's not allowed to attack anyone. So, are you reaching out to Texas or Tennessee or whatever? Well, this is the issue is Texas, I think Texas recently CD, and a new player came into the game, maybe without understanding the rules... And has broken the rules automatically by not declaring war before he attacked. So I think at the moment everything's all a bit fucked up. Well, they're looking at can they. Wasn't it password protected? Yeah, but once someone went to CD, I don't know if that happens. How's that work? I thought it should be password protected, regardless. The person who signed up to it needs to know the password. Anyway, Hmm. it's unrated, as you said, and. um, I was attacking California, who's the non-playing player. We were allowed to attack, but I subsequently disengaged from him totally because he can't attack me. So I can try to defend myself. It looks like you just lost Calgary. Oh, I, I just banded out of Calgary or something like that. I knew I couldn't hold it. Still got a fleet over here. Oh yeah. Okay. You want any other games? No, that's it. How about you? You um, still got your Europa games to go? No, the most recent one's finished. Oh, how'd you go? Hmm. I got into the draw. Really? Yes. Let me see if I can't find it. Was that the one where you couldn't believe you were still in it? Hmm. I was playing Naples. Lockdown Renovatio it was. Mm-hmm. Um... So I'm glad I can actually talk a bit more openly about it. So, at the end of the game, I'm essentially the smallest power left on the board. Yep. Just got a job. And congratulations. Yeah, well done. <laughs> and um, this is the weird one where you're going, oh my God, I can't believe oh, how... Oh, the, the shape of the countries. The yes. shape of the countries going on here. Um, ultimately, is Holt was playing Castile who in the end decided to prop me up as this power on the um, Iberian but well, in the um, Italian Italian Peninsula um, against Bavaria Bohemia that's Bavaria no, ba- Bavaria's grey no Bavaria's blue is it? Saxony oh yeah okay yeah so it was Bavaria now, 
I was for a number of years trying to establish a route for Bavaria to move his fleets out of the Adriatic Sea before the Mediterranean got um, become condensed, you know, become... Because you know, I remember at one stage you showed me this map and Bavaria was in Egypt. Was he? Yeah. Because huh. I thought that was the weirdest fucking thing ever. Well, and the reason I was doing this because, you know, there seemed to be some sort of friendly detente between me and him in the north. So I was thinking, okay, he's got all these fleets that he used to get rid of Venice in the north at the tip of the Adriatic. How can I help him get out of the Adriatic whilst he's got all these fleets to um, take advantage of this void in the Mediterranean to expand his power there and hopefully let me, you know, break away from this constant attacking that Venice was doing against me throughout the game. Um, but in the end, he used that and then stabbed me with his plate. So, you know... Asshole. Who, who was it? Um, Bengal fish, I think. Bengal fish? I don't know him. No. But, you know, I understand why he did it. Um, hey, you got 132 Vita points. I did. You were at 1,805. Yep. You're knocking on the 2,000 door, mate. Not going to be long until you take me over. Um, the apprentice has become the master. Well, that puts me, I think, 54th or something. 54th? Yeah. You've got to be happy with that in your ranking, won't you? Oh, look, it's not all about the ranking. <laughs> I mean, surely you got to feel there's a little bit of positive reinforcement around that. Because, like, as opposed to my negative reinforcement as I kind of drop in ranking. I'm in a number of other European Renovatio games where I've been eliminated, so no doubt that'll drop back down. As okay. expected, so... Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I was happy to be involved with the draw, so thank you for um, that game, essentially. So who got the most, who got effectively the most was Castile? Castile ended up with the most supply centres. But because it was drawn, everyone got the same points, is that right? Within the video rules. Yeah, but the ranking changes differently. Yeah. So everyone got the same points, but the... Um, People change ranks differently according to where they were ranked against yeah, okay. who they've beaten. So I think the biggest bump was um, well, Holt went up a lot. Seabro twenty-seven, who got a bump of two hundred and eighty-three points for his draw as Lithuania. Wow. There's quite a few there with them really good bumps. Holt, who came first, got a bump of fifty-eight. So. Okay. You know, he's well and truly up in the top rankings there. Mm. I've signed up to another one. Um, but I'm not currently playing a game at this point. Oh, so you've got no other games on? No. Yeah. So actually one thing I should just mention is um, in that uh, Winning is for Losers game, Russia, who I've just recently established a bit of a detente with, is played by Maka. Have you had much to do with Macca? I may have played him once or twice. So, I noticed that Macca was always seemed to be on the same time I was online. Oh, yeah? 
And I thought, you're in Australia? Of course, he said, yes, we've talked about this before. Oh, where are you again? Brisbane. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I went back and had a look at the, um, uh, the face-to-face game Excel spreadsheet. I've got people who express interest in playing face-to-face in Brisbane. He's on it. So he, he kind of, he, he put his name down just before the COVID thing happened. Oh, right. Yep. So I said, well, you know, well, how many, how many COVID cases we got in Queensland at the moment? Is it back down to four again? There's no community transmission and blah, 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 blah. So I, don't, I said, look, hey, if we were to play a face-to-face game, would you be keen? He said, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, I don't know. Do you reckon you can, between yourself people? and your contacts and maybe at least some of mine and then... If we can't organise a game, mate. Yeah, look, I'll be seeing a couple of those lads um, next week or so. so, Well, this week, so I'll drop the question there. See if they're up for it. So maybe if you can just get back to me on what weekend might work collectively best. I think I've got a reasonable amount of flexibility. If we do Netherworld, Netherworld would be a great spot for it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I will ah. chase that up. Cool. I'm going to have a drink again. I think I only gave me 150 milligrams last time. Uh, looks like by the size of the blood. Cheers. Cheers, we're back. Um, yeah, we got a uh, message from Azimut, one of our listeners. <laughs> um, in his last episode, I was talking about uh, basically freehanding um, some of the sea territories from David Cohen's. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Age yeah. Age Empires mm-hmm. variant. Um, and it's given good advice, essentially. It's, it's a tool that I've used before, essentially. It's, um, it's about... Basically, when you get a, a selection for an area, you can use a, a stroke function in GIMP um, to kind of shrink your selection size by a pixel and then okay. invert that selection and then basically bucket fill the entirety of that selection to a certain uh, colour, in which case it would be black, which would give you a one pixel outline yep. of all your territories. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's a neat little trick to be able to... Like, to um, that's nice. I like that. To do outlines fast. If you're like, um, making maps and shit. When you're making maps, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's a really neat trick um, the reason I couldn't do it for David's particular um, variant that, that, that I've been working on is that he had mm. uh, two reasons like there was um, he had a, he had the black one pixel line delineating the sea territories but not the ocean territory so right. if I'd done it on the sea territory I would have ended up with a, a effectively a three pixel line okay. between the sea territories and a one pixel line between the sea territory and the ocean. Yep. Yep. And if I had done it on the ocean, I would have ended up with a one pixel line between the ocean and the sea territory, but a two pixel line outlining all of the boxes of the ocean territories. Yep. On the, so, so it was something I'd considered, it's something I've used before in the past, but in this specific case, it wasn't going to um, do what I needed it to do. So I ended up using a, um, 
a draw pad, essentially. So it's a, a draw tablet, you've got a pen and you draw it. How artistic. Yeah. So so what's, what's the progress at the moment on the Age of Enlightenment? What's the GO? Well, I've done the names layer. I've coloured all of the territories, unique colours. Yep. And I've split the territories into two maps. So now I need to contact um, someone who has a server, essentially, to um, request access so that I can pop it onto there um, or take it a bit further. So you, last episode we were talking about, last episode, I think it was last episode, we were talking about um, whether Flame might be able to assist with the... Fuck, what's this? No, it's in there. Yeah, well, Flame was one of the ones I was thinking about contacting. He's, he runs the uh, the Russian server, and he's um, I've worked with him in the past to develop variants. So I, I kind of got in touch with Flame myself, and fuck, it's gone. Um, how do you find your old messages? Well, you go to the PM box. There is no PM box. It is. Just underneath your games, notices, there's that little oh. app box there. Take it to your um, your PMs. Oh, those too. Jeez, you're clever. Little tricks. Little tricks. Okay, so you spoke to um, Flame. Yep. Yep. So I, I asked Flame, I said, hi Flame, a couple of things. Um, Blah, blah, blah. I was interested to find out what happened to your lab and to what extent variants can still be developed at the webdiplomacy.ru. I recently created a classic standard neutrals variant for VDIP, but because Ollie is too busy with real life, it hasn't progressed. I've been interested to see if it works at your end to test with your community. Um, so his response was, hi, several months ago, I... Okay, and sorry, this is a little bit stilted English because obviously Flame is not a native English speaker, so... Russian, yep. Ukrainian. Ukrainian. So Sorry. I kind of assume a little bit of Google Translate action happening here. Yep. So hi, several months ago I faced the last lack of space on server and lack of free time to maintain with all the site branches as well. To pull ahead of all this by myself was too complicated, so I decided to reduce the amount of services and now I feel absolutely balanced in my time. Okay. So my reading of that is no. Yeah. No, he's uh <laughs> Yeah. That's how I read that too. So what's the next step for you? Well if you got no Ollie, you got no flame oh. and oh. you don't know how to set up a server, you're either A oh. fucked or B you're gonna have to talk to someone who knows how to set up a s- advice on how to set up a server. Okay. Could you post something within the uh, the mod forum around what you need to do to set up a server? Uh-huh. Was that I wonder if to- oh, Toby's busy. He would have his own work. Do you just sit on it for a bit longer? Potentially. Wait till next holiday. Wait, honestly, you know you're not going to get around to any of this shit until your next lot of holidays. Probably not. So, ready to go. just wait and see what happens. Mm. I could drop it there as just like ready to go when you are, and then um, leave it at that. So, do you have access? There's like, I, I thought there, was, there still was a VDIP um, dev area. Do you have access to that still? Yeah. Um, you can't upload something there? No, you still need that to be set up by, by someone. 
so you need to have that set up really um, uh, okay well maybe it means I have to uh, I just don't have the time no. just wait until your next dollar holidays don't forget no, it, you got to prepare yeah. yourself for you know the sea carnage and force force yeah. Uh, yeah, the lot of shit going on yeah the windy city doing a thing aren't they Oh, wasn't it Tempest in a Teapot? No, that's the other one. Tempest in a Teapot? Sorry. Fuck, what was the other one that's happening when in you said November? No. November, October? You're right, I do need to prepare myself mentally. That's it. Just go to diplomacy briefing all the time. Um, or. Yeah, you're right, Tempest. <laughs> Tempest in a Teapot, 17th of October. Fuck. And then two weeks later, we've got Carnage. Well. Try to find someone who can help me set up the server. You said you knew some PHP dude. Yeah, I do know a PHP dude. Wouldn't he know how to set up a server? Yeah, but I need to set a computer in front of him that's not... Um, not locked down. Not locked down, essentially, really. So you need a computer. Do you have a computer? Yeah, I've got a... It's an old clunker thing. I've got a... Yeah, I've got an old Apple clunker. An old Atari. Yep, and uh, Commodore 64. There's the work computer. Double use. Uh, uh, okay, let me have a think. Okay. Yeah. Let have, me have a think. Have a think. Yeah. But that's where it sits at the moment. So if Flame's sort of out of the action, then uh, yeah, it's just going to have to wait. Sorry, David. But um, mm. yep. So talking to David. He did kind of, he sent me a, a, a PM after the interview saying, hey, he was looking at your um, your VDIP profile and you talk about this variant called Ice Age. Just so you know, I kind of, he did or he knew about something like it had been created like as a separate type of concept, similar but like classic map, but there was like ice through the Mediterranean. Yeah, so What's the same that about? As, it's the same as Tsunami. Right. right. So... I don't even know. Tsunami's, tsunami's going one way and the flooding the land. Yeah, essentially. So um, this turns some of the it, it goes water the other into. way. It starts in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. It's the first ice territory, right. passable. And then each year there's a new territory picked at random that becomes oh. impassable. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't and know so about it this. Spreads until you end up with ice everywhere. Ice everywhere. And so what happens if your your unit Sorry, what happens if your unit is in a territory that becomes ice rich? You just get covered in ice. Do covered you keep, in ice. Do you keep frozen. the supply center, but you can't build it. All gone. Oh, painful. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the opposite one is the flooding one, where you know it's the opposite happens. It's the water's rising. Yeah. So um, he kind of asked. It, he said, "Oh, so what's this about?" And I said, "Oh, look, I don't know. Look, I've, I started doing a map for this. It was like..." Four or five years ago, before you haven't updated your profile page since. <laughs> so that go on. Yeah, yeah. I look, I may have tweaked it, but not by much. Okay. Yeah. But I went back and had a look, and I've still got like the. I was actually surprised. I've, I've got the proper map, and then I've also got the layer for the the territories and the supply centers. Yep. But I can't remember who the players were. If there were any special rules... Yeah, I've been there before. Bloody Black Death variant went that way. 
Why did the Black Death? I started hearing Black Death. No, the fucking the Mongolian one. Oh, oh the Mongolian Black Death. Yeah. Actually, speaking of maps, like Asmuk sort of suggested that the um, Avatar: The Last Airbender map might be a really cool variant to oh, okay. to make. Um, so I've just downloaded it. I've got a look at it. Um, yeah, I mean that looks pretty cool. Like you got a large land mass and a whole yep. heap of archipelago sitting around. It does remind me a little bit of the fantasy world variant. Like if you were to flip this on its side, you've got almost a symmetrical um, fantasy world. So yeah, Ollie's not going to go for that because it's like that a Ollie doesn't like doing trademark type thing. things. Yeah. yeah. But no, I agree with him. Like, it, it could be a pretty cool map to use, but the longevity of it makes it a bit difficult because of the IP issues. Yeah. And, uh, but, like, I, I mean, honestly, if, I think the way things are at the moment, the map for that Ice Age thing, all I need to actually do is have someone who's got access to a variant development server that I can upload it, and I can pretty much create that one. It's all but ready to go. I'm trying to work out... So, how hard can a bloody be to set up a server? Cross mm-hmm. sake, if people do it. I don't know, maybe I need to get smart or something, I don't know. Like, do I just go and get like a shitty, shitty desktop, tower desktop and set up my own server and then anyone who wants to make a variant can just use that server? Do you know what I mean? And that's the oh, whole yeah. purpose of it. I mean, is, can you do that? I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, I don't know. No games being done, only variant development. Yeah, and when it's completed, the file gets zipped and sent to Ollie to install when he has time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good idea. So instead of um, David Cummins suggesting, you know, you just need five, six or maybe five figures to buy the intellectual property for the game, just create a bloody web server that's service that people can use. For the express purpose of creating, creating variants, variants yeah. as opposed to playing variants, mm. just the creation of. Yeah. Um, other variant stuff, if we're just and development stuff, just briefly. Yeah. Did you see the update that came through from? Um, uh, was it Fake Owl around the uh, Tiglath Pilasar update? No, I didn't. Oh shit! It is one sweet map. I really, really like this one. So, I think I previously talked about this um, this variant on the show, uh, incorrectly pronounced as Tiglath um, Pilsner. That's what you just said. No, Pilasar. Oh, okay. So I think Tiglath Pilasar was um, one of the many, many various uh, kings of Assyria. So this is like a Iron Age variant, I think, probably the best way of describing it. And um, previously he'd been working on, on um, uh, a version, which is now subsequently been, it's been playtested, and then it's been updated a little bit further. So I'll just see if I can bring up the, the map for us so we can have a bit of a look at it. The, uh, the difference now is... Let's see, I'll show you up here. I'm beating you to it, Andy. Nah, you're not. I'm going to get you to it. Paste. I always think we are literally loading at oh, the same fuck, time. Oh, fuck, you're fast. Oh, asshole. You beat me by about one second. <laughs> Let me save that image. 
I'll open it as a uh, open in the gallery because people stay there. Okay, here we go. Right. So, so this is centered around the Middle East. Yes, during the um, like. Uh, my understanding, and the way that actually Fakal has updated this now, which I really, really like, is there is a um, a state of Israel, in the sense of this is what Israel was in like the Bible during the period of King Solomon. So you've, you've, David's come along, he's kind of done a bit of conquering, Solomon's come along, he's built his temple and all that type of stuff, and now you've actually got a oh, solid presence there. What are you doing? Oh, sorry, I lost there. it. Yeah. So you've got a solid presence around Israel and Crete? Well, no, no, no. So that, that's, I think that might be like the equivalent of the Phoenicia. Then you've got your... Um, I think these might be the Sumerians or whatever like that. I don't know who the fuck these are. pink dudes are. This orange bit up here is Assyria. Babylon? Purple bit I think is Babylon. Or maybe that is Assyria. That could be Assyria, the pink bits. No, no, no. Assyria is to the... That would be Assyria. That would be Sumer. That would be Babylon. No, no, no. Babylon, wait a minute. But Babylon's you know, up there. That's so think about like, modern-day Iraq. Babylon's like around this area here. Like, uh, who are these, the Turks? That'd be like the, I don't know, the... Who are those dudes up there now? So this must be... Oh, God. And then, of course, you've got confused. Egypt, and then you've got... Um, Upper Egypt. I think it's like... Uh, well, who's Ethiopia? that queen back there? Sheba. Sheba, yeah. Okay, so around the Levant, you must have... Um, Samaritans and the someone like that. The so that book. must be the Hittites up there. Oh, the Hittites! Yes, well done. So, um, again, this is there's this steady bank of variants now that are being, you know, piled up. There's a whole heap sitting there, ready to kind of rock. Okay, so what's the difference between this one and the last iteration? Well, this one's actually got Israel as a player, mm -hmm. and there was something else that they did too. Maybe it was something like created Antioch. Is, is Antioch the Phoenicians or not? I don't know. Is there a. Maybe I can check the There is a Suez kind of situation. Um, is there? By the look of it, yeah. Well, as in like being able to get from the Red Sea into the um, Mediterranean. Yeah, so you, 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 it looks like it's a river type thing, so you'd have to move it through one, two, three units if you have a fleet the Red Sea to get to the... Uh... Okay, yeah. From a gameplay point of view, that makes sense. Yeah, so he's added Israel and Aram Damascus. And the Aegean Sea is... Is that adjacent to the Black Sea? Would you have to move through? No, you have to go through the yep. Dardanelles and everything, yeah? Yeah, it's just not directly connected. You have to move through one of those two spaces yep. here. Okay. Mm. Okay. Very nice. Mm. But yes, it'd be good um, It'd be good if you kind of created a very service, because then people can start doing shit. The express purpose of making variants. Yeah. Well, now you're putting it on me. I have to figure that out. Now. 
Jesus Christ. I just said, talk, just talk to your PHP guru, dude. If he, can't, if he knows how to do PHP, he'll know how to create a fucking server. A virtual server. Yeah, he does. He's done it before. Um, anyway, we'll talk about that shit later. Is there anything else we want to talk about before we do a wrap-up? Uh, I can't think of anything. Um, let me have a look at my notes. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got a message from Major Mitchell over at WebDiff. Um, basically asking me to give a shout-out to have a look at the Facebook page for Dusty Balzac Bush Philosopher. And what's that going to do with diplomacy? Not a lot, from what I've found. <laughs> but the shout-out's there. Go and have a look. Um, if you want some Dusty Bush Philosophy from Balzac, it's Dusty Balzac, B-A-L-Z-A-C, Bush Philosopher. So is that like Facebook. Bush Philosophy, like Australian Bush Philosophy? I'm assuming it's so. like where you sit around a yeah. campfire with your um, billy tea and you got a eucalyptus leaves in your mouth and you, well, you kind of use it as a, as a little, what they call those, <laughs> harmonica thing. Well, you got, you like got... Like Russell Coit. You've, you've, got, you've got Bush Poetry. Um, what was that one? This is this is his website. So is that Bush well, poetry? Bush philosophy. Balzac. XXX Bush philosophy. Um, so in my mind hasn't got a lot to do with diplomacy, but it looks like a pretty fun kind. I don't of think it's got much to do with diplomacy at all. <laughs> got, got a fun blogosphere aspect to it. So, um, maybe so, so I've given the shout out. So there's the shout out. We don't necessarily. Um, Condone endorse or, or endorse condone. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But there you go. Well, there you go. We might do a bit of a wrap. Alright. Kana, Ambi. Cheers. See ya. Bye bye. Till next time.